Oh, man, it's so good to be here. Uh, yes, I am armed and dangerous tonight, but I will just put this down for a moment. But, uh, yeah, God just has me bringing my sword everywhere I go these days. So, you know what? We're just going to go there. So, how many of you been on vacation somewhere? Did you go somewhere? It almost feels like summer's over, right? Almost, not, not quite. Uh, well, we just got back from vacation, my husband and I, for the last... Uh, five or six years or so, we've taken two weeks in the summer, and we have a boat. We have a sailboat, and um, we've had many adventures on our sailboat, and we will sail from Muskegon to Mackinac Island and back. And one thing that you have to know about sailing, you cannot be in a hurry, so you just have to enjoy the journey. So uh, we're do the best we can. The first day of our vacation, we always try and get as far north as we can because we can make really good um, tracking the first day. Then we can take a little bit more time because, uh, as you know, the weather doesn't always cooperate. And, and so anyway, so this was our very best first day sail that we've ever, ever had. Uh, the weather was wonderful. The lake was fairly smooth. Um, sometimes Lake Michigan is a rodeo. It can just throw you and I can be over the edge, um, not feeling so hot. But we just had a great first day. Yeah, you think you felt a little sick. I have felt like I wanted to die on a sailboat. That's not a good feeling. But we were having a great first day. We went all the way to Portage Lake. I don't know if you know where that is. But it was like, couldn't believe it. The weather was awesome. The wind was awesome. And we had a great first day of sailing. So we motored in to uh, Portage Lake, dropped our anchor. We'd love to do that. We have a 38-foot sailboat. It's all set up for, you know, being on anchor. We have electricity. We can um, watch TV, all that good stuff. But anyway, so we're... We're getting um, ready to just close the boat up, and we notice there's bright flashes coming across Lake Michigan. None of our weather apps indicated that there was even a storm or rain in sight. They all said it was supposed to be a dry, quiet night. So we said, we better get ready for what's coming. And uh, my husband, Bill, said, you better pull up the uh, Doppler ra radar. That doesn't lie. So we see every color that you don't want to see inside this Doppler radar moving across very quickly across Lake Michigan, and we see it coming. So we're getting ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready. Now in a sailboat, when you drop your anchor, you want to make sure that your anchor is, it holds. And one reason we like to be in this Portage Lake is because it's a sandy bottom. That's a really great place to dig in that anchor. And so we felt like we were in a good place, a good spot. Um, so about 11.30, we have about a 30-foot mast, and um, we had just kind of gotten everything all um, battened down, and we closed in because we knew that this was probably going to be a rainstorm, but we did not know what was about to happen because when you're on anchor, your uh, boat will swing around the anchor, and that's just common. When the wind blows, your boat is supposed to be, it, it will all on its own, face into the wind, and then you're safe. You're cutting the wind. Well, we happened to be swinging around at the moment that this storm hit, and it hit us broadside so hard that we went from inside the boat, standing like this, to falling over, almost tipping over to, if we could have seen it, I think our mast was just about ready to touch the water. And it happened 
just that fast. And my husband said, how come the boat isn't turning into the wind? It should turn into the wind. But it hit so hard and so fast that it took a few minutes before suddenly we were upright again and we were facing the wind. And it roared in like a freight train. Now, how many of you were in Gen live in Jenison or know that storm that hit Jenison so hard? That was the same storm. <laughs> Only we were in a boat on the lake, anchored, and after it was all done, I said, what was that? It came, it seemed out of nowhere. There was no warning. And so I scrolled down a little bit on my weather app, and there it was. 70 mile an hour, straight line winds, tornadoes, small craft warnings, get off the lake, seek shelter. Well, we weathered the storm. The name of our boat is Blessed. And I thank God that when the storm was kind of had blown through, my husband said, we better find out if the anchor held. Because we could have been kind of, you know, not shipwrecked. I mean, we would have been able to figure it out. But you don't want to get into shallow water. And our anchor held. And 70 mile an hour straight line winds. Who knows that there was a tornado or two. It sounded like freight train. And all I can say is blessed withstood the test <laughs> and in life there are times when you are going to get hit broadside by something you did not see coming but if your anchor is in Jesus Christ it will hold it will withstand the storm and you will make it through you will right yourself and you will be able to face the storm because he's he is your anchor amen anybody amen. all right that has nothing to do with my message <laughs> Just kidding. No, I, I'm just, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I always say this is like my favorite gig next to women's ministry. I'm the women's ministry pastor. And um, we meet right here too, so I feel real comfortable with you all. So um, I want to share with you an inner vision that God gave me some years ago. Now, if you know what I mean by an inner vision, I believe that God has gifted each and every one of us with an in, internal monitor and some of you have a very uh, a, a creative uh, conscience, or you have a very creative monitor. Maybe you dream in color. Maybe you see images in your mind. You know what? That is your imagination that God has gifted you with. Now, there was a time in my life when my imagination, I would allow it to be hijacked by the devil, and he used it against me in a spirit of fear. You can do that, too, and see images that cause fear to grip you. But when you get sanctified and allow that gift of that imagination, God will show you things. And that's what I'm talking about. I saw a picture, this picture in my mind, <clears throat> and so we call it an inner vision. And I, I'm trying to make sure you can see what, um, what this is going to look like. But picture a man I saw on a grassy hill. And he was kneeling, and he was crying out to God. He was desperately praying. He was praying and pleading and begging God. There, I don't know what the prayer was, but he very desperately was crying out to God with his whole heart. And lying next to him was a sword. So I'm going to put it here. I know you might not be able to see it. But in, in this picture in my mind, I could see this sword was lying next to the man. And yet, 
as he prayed it, it was as if he didn't even see it. He didn't know it was there. So the next thing I saw in this inner vision, it was as if the cameras panned up to the sky. I know, just go with it. And there, it looked as if heaven had been rolled back, and I saw Jesus on his knees, grabbing the edge of heaven, and he was looking down at this man. He could hear every word that man was crying out and praying to him. And he was receiving it, and he could hear it, and the look on Jesus' face was one of mercy and almost desperation, too, because he felt the man's pain. It was compassion and passion for this man. But what happened next surprised me, because what I saw Jesus do is he cupped his hands around his mouth, and he yelled to the man. He said, pick up the sword. Pick up the sword. But the man, for as much crying and begging to God, did not hear what God was saying to him. And at first I thought, Jesus, why don't you do something? What's the answer to this man's prayer? The answer was pick up your sword. Because you see, Ephesians 6 tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And the word of God speaks and it's alive, and it's full of power. And um, in Hebrews 4.12, it says, it's active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is the most effective thing that you can do in the time of your deepest need, in the time of your greatest desperation. And that is to pick up the word of God. I cannot tell you how God has stirred up a passion in my heart to call all of us believers in Jesus Christ to rise up to the authority and the power and the blessings that Jesus paid so great a price for us to enjoy. We're supposed to enjoy your life. Your life is not, your Christian life is not supposed to be a chore. By the way, this is not sharp. You are not in danger, Dylan. <laughs> I, I promise. I would be in big trouble if this thing was sharp. So, that is, that is my passion. And when I ask God, you know, what do you want me to talk about? He says, bring your sword. you got to bring your sword. I'm going to challenge you today, rise up and pick up your sword. No matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what it is that you're doing, we're going to learn today about praying powerful prayers and get a new expectation of what God has already done for us. And yet we're living so far below the greatest blessing and riches. You know what this reminds me of? If you read uh, in the Old Testament, y'all know the, uh, the um, familiar story about Moses who delivered the children of Israel from slavery, right? You're tracking with me. And they're in the wilderness, and they're supposed to go to the what? The promised land. They had a plan, uh, God had a plan for them to live in this amazing place. He said, you're going to enjoy houses that you didn't build and vineyards that you didn't plant and wells that you did not dig, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they all said, come on, let's go, let's get there. Well, we all have kind of heard the story. Um, it is really only an 11-day journey on foot from Egypt but it took a lot of time. You know, they, they had to move through the wilderness kind of slowly, and then they camped out at Mount Sinai, and then they had a few miracles along the way. God provided for them. He had to part the Red Sea. He had to save them, you know, and feed them and, and give them water. You know, all the good, great miracles that Jesus did. In about two years, 
here they were standing at the border looking into their promised land. They had arrived, did you know, two years after leaving slavery. But we know the rest of the story. They wandered in the desert for what? 38 more years. Do you know why? Because they refused to go in and possess their promise. They refused to pick up their sword and take everything that was promised to them. And ladies and gentlemen, we do the same thing with God's promises. We live so far below what Jesus paid so great a price for us to enjoy. But you get to go in. You get to go in. And I'm just going to tell you, go get your promise today. Go get your promise today. And we're going to find out why we can do that. So the word of God, and this is the other part of that sword. The word of God in Revelation, we see a picture of Jesus. And he's in his full glory, in his glorified body. And he, we, we see him with the sword coming out of his mouth. So though you have the sword, which is the what? Word of God. It needs to come out of your mouth. That is praying a powerful, effective prayer using the only weapon that really works because the word of God is alive and full of power. It's active, operative, energizing, and effective, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword, sharper than this one, that's for sure. But the word of God coming out of our mouth was the answer that Jesus was trying to get to the man. See, we don't need to beg God for something he's already given. He was begging. You know what he should have been doing? Receiving. He should, that sword should have been coming out of his mouth. He should have been talking about, God, I trust you in this storm. It has hit me broadside. I did not see it coming. But you're my anchor, and I know in you I'm going to be okay. And I'm surrendering that to you. For 2 Peter 1 says, For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through a true personal knowledge of him. Isn't that awesome? You've already been given everything you need to live this dynamic spiritual life. Does that sound like a chore? No, your spirit, your walk with God is not supposed to be a chore. It's dynamic. It should be enjoyable. It should be exciting as we begin to receive and possess our promises, the, our promised land. So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you, pick up your sword. And here's something I cannot do. I cannot pick up your sword for you. Everybody has a sword. And you have to make that decision to pick up your sword for yourself. And we make a conscious decision to stand in the promises of God. You know, sometimes when we pray to God, we think he's playing duck, duck, goose with our prayers. Do you remember duck, duck, goose? I don't mean to insult you. Yes, okay. <laughs> you will play it again, I promise. But duck, duck, goose. So, so we're praying, God, please heal me. Please bring me peace. Please make that person go away. Please, whatever it is that we're begging God for. And you think he's looking down at you and he goes, no, no, wait for it. You have to learn something before I answer that one. Yes. Duck, duck, goose. Mm -mm. 
Guess what? All of God's promises are what? Yes and amen. That's your confidence. That's why we're not begging God for something that he's already given us. In fact, when we take the sword of the Spirit, we want to speak it out of our mouth. Faith speaks. Faith commands mountains. Faith doesn't talk to God about mountains. Faith speaks to the mountain is what God tells us to do. You picture Jesus standing up in that sinking boat. The Bible says that when the disciples were um, uh, crossing the lake, it was a storm of hurricane proportions. Now, these were seasoned fishermen that were probably used to storms, but this was a whopper. And I believe that this was a storm that the devil had brewed up to take him out. Because guess what? Jesus had ministered all day on the one side of the lake. And he ministered from the boat, and the shore was filled with people. And then Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. It's like, what? Why? Well, so they pulled a banker, and they started um, going across. Now, we know that Jesus was tired because what did he do? He fell asleep in the boat. In fact, even when the storm hit, Jesus was still asleep in the boat. Because Jesus is not only, did he not only have peace, he is peace. He's the prince of peace. And so the disciples are like, oh, we're going to die. And they probably could have, quite honestly. And Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? But he's, picture him standing up in the middle of this sinking boat in the middle of a raging hurricane storm. And he spoke to the mountain. He spoke to the wind and he spoke to the waves. That's what had to stop. And so he literally said, peace, be still. And in the Greek, he really just said this. It's so cool. He says, I am. Literally means I am. The great I am of the Old Testament was standing in the midst of that storm. And that was the authority that he took when he released the, his identity to the storm. The storm obeyed. Can I say, we're going to talk about our identity in Christ. It's a powerful thing that God has done for you so that you can stand and command the mountain and command the storm. And guess what? As he is, so are we in this world. That's 1 John 4, 17. So I'm just telling you, you don't have to be a beggar. You can be a commander only because we get some authority. And let's talk about where that comes from. Luke 10, 19 says... Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, I, Jesus, have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, I haven't stepped on serpents and scorpions lately, but, you know, imagine what that could, uh, how you apply that to problems and uh, trauma and tragedies and, and worries and stress and whatever it is, that's the serpent and the scorpion that you have now been given authority to tread on. See, it's not supposed to be on top of you. You are to be on top of it. Who's supposed to be standing on top of whom? Yes, you have been given authority to trample and keep it under your feet. And I love the ant. I love the ant. The ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, who is Satan, and nothing will in any way harm you. Okay, come on now. We've got we've to dissect this. 
You have been given the same authority that Jesus walked in. The same authority that Jesus walked in. I'm not so great. I don't have power to raise the dead. But the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. If you will walk in the same authority, you will see dead be raised to life. My father-in-law, about a year and a half ago now, we were called emergency to Metro Hospital. He was supposed to come home. He was supposed to come home. He had been in the hospital. He'd had a, a bad history of heart disease, and he had emphysema. But he had been in the hospital, and he, they were testing him to make sure he could come home safely. And in the meantime, he had a major heart attack, and they were able to resuscitate him. But I got a call, got called out a Thursday morning impact, and uh, go to Metro. Your your father-in-law is in ICU on life support. That's not what we thought was going to happen. That was a 70-mile-an-hour straight line wind that hit us broadside. We did not see that coming. So we, I rushed over, and I was one of the first ones there, and found my mother-in-law in tears, of course. And so we were waiting on the doctors, and they didn't let us come in right away, and lots of things began to develop, and um, doctors came, doctors left. They came to comfort the family. They actually at one time said, uh, you really need to gather your family. And as gentle as they were trying to be, I could tell they were saying, gather your family because it's time to say your goodbyes. And so we lined up. And see, when something happens in the Waldhart family, everybody goes to the hospital. There were over 30 of us there. Yeah, in ICU. Um, I'm not sure they knew what hit them. But anyway, so we're all lining up. And I see people ahead of me in line. I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I elbowed my way because my husband was going to go in there, of course, as his, this is his father. And so I thought, I want to be in there with my husband. And uh, we had gotten terrible news, you know. No good news. No good news. And so walked into the room. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone on life support, but it's, it's a very huge shock. And there was every machine. He was intubated. The whole, um, th that was the only thing keeping him alive. And so um, I had my uh, other family members in there. We're all believers. And, you know, sometimes when you're in shock, you don't really know what to do. And sometimes we get very much intimidated. It's like, wow, I don't know what, if I have it in me right now, but there was something in me and said, this is not okay. If the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, and the word of God, which is my sword, has given me authority to speak to this problem and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, who is Satan, who is the author of death and sickness and disease. Amen. I just said to my family members, we haven't prayed. Come on. And I didn't even care if anybody came with me or not. I, and here's what the enemy did immediately. Oh, you're just doing that because you're a pastor. Oh, look at you. And then it's like, what if it doesn't work? You're foolish. And you know what I had to say in the face of that? What if it does? In fact, God's promises are yes and amen. And I dare 
to believe with all of my being that the word of God is active and it speaks life. And so we just went over and we laid hands on him. And we didn't know exactly, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit did show us exactly how to pray. And, and, I, and I just spoke so simply. You don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. You don't have to do cartwheels. You don't have to twist God's arm. I just very quietly said, in the mighty name of Jesus, we speak life to you, Dad. I speak to your brain. You become active in Jesus' name. Spine line up with the word of God. Heart begin to pump. Blood be circulated through his body. Breath come. Life come in Jesus' name. And I would have loved to be able to tell you that his eyes flew open and he sat up in bed, but he did not. Nothing changed. And then we walked away because it was somebody else's turn to come in. And the doctor, one of our uh, family members asked the doctor in front of everybody, so are you telling us that if we pulled the plug on the life support right now that he wouldn't live? And the doctor said, yes, I'm sorry. But that's exactly what we're telling you. And in my heart, I, I was saying, but we prayed, but we prayed, but we prayed. Because, see, you can't be moved by what you're seeing. I'm only moved by what I know from the word of God. And you have to hang on to your promise. You have to go get your promise. You have to possess your promise. And we're not begging God for anything. We're just receiving what he's already provided. So we waited, and 20 minutes later, he began to respond. First, it was just a nod. Then his eyes were open, and the doctors were like, hmm, this is interesting. It's probably just muscle reflex. So ask him a question to see if he will really respond. And so they began to ask him yes and no questions, and he responded very appropriately. And then about an hour later, he's trying to talk with a full intubated tube down his throat, and, he's, and they finally says, well, we better take that tube out. And by the end of the night, he's sitting up in bed, laughing, joking, full of life, because of the life of Jesus that raised him from the dead. Is anybody ready to pick up your sword in here? <clears throat> because you have been given the same authority that Jesus walked in. We got in trouble another time. Boy, story night. We got in trouble because, you know, sailors, um, it's, a, it's a learning curve. We've been sailing for 10 years, and we have lots of adventures, which just means we made really dumb mistakes. So one time we went out there when nobody was on the lake. Here's a clue. Don't sail when nobody else is on the lake because they're smarter than you. And the wind just kicked up, and we started getting lambasted with these 10-foot um, waves. Oh, they're taller than me, you know, and they're coming at you. And, I mean... It was everything that we could do. We were commanding wind and waves, sure. I mean, come on. And so what ended up happening was I, I said, and I, I really truly believe this, that if we needed to uh, get out of that boat to, to be rescued, I truly believe we were going to be walking on water. I just really believed it. But thank God he got us through. And here's, here's a fun life lesson. So those same waves that were crashing us and crashing us for about an hour and a half. It was all my husband could do to hang out of the wheel. We finally got out far enough where we could turn um, toward the, um, we had to get around the, the most, most northern tip of, of Michigan, and we finally were able to turn, and those same waves propelled us to our destiny. 
See, what the devil means for your good, God can turn around. Uh, for your bad, God can turn around for your good. Amen. So here we are. James 4, 7. We have the same authority as Jesus. And so you know this one. It says, so be subject to God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him. Don't bow your knee to him. Because you have authority over him. And he has to flee. He has to run. In, in uh, the Greek it says, in stark terror, he is more afraid of you. So don't you be afraid of him. Again, who's supposed to be running from who? You have the sword. You have the sword. Here's another mind-blowing scripture, John 14, 12. Jesus speaking, he says, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes in me, he himself, I can hardly say this, he himself will be able to do the things that I do, and he will do even greater things than these. I can't think of greater things than Jesus, but that's what Jesus said. And it's not because I'm so great. See, I didn't get all prayed up to go over there before I laid hands on my father-in-law. Mm -mm. I just had a quiet confidence. God, this isn't about me. This is about you. And I call you faithful. I call your word life. Oh, I see life in this room right now. I think you're getting this. You know, but I prayed over you. I prayed for you because I'm telling you what. Your mind will war with this, and your flesh will say, I can't be powerful. That, that's for other people. That's for pastors. <laughs> no, it's for believers. It's for believers. Mark 16, 17, 18 says, these signs will follow those who believe. Anybody in here a believer? All right, lift up your hands and receive this. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, don't play with snakes, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This isn't, I hope it works. This is what your right is, because you are a believer in Jesus, and only because Jesus said so. All right. This is signed in blood, the blood of Jesus. You know, Jesus did not ask God when he went about healing and doing good to heal these people. He commanded. He didn't command God. He commanded the life to come forth. So, for instance, Lazarus, come forth. Pretty simple. We're not praying these flowery prayers and, and saying the these and the thous. Mm -mm. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Bam. Command it. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Miracles. Miracles. Commanding what uh, the devil is, has taken authority over, we are taking our authority back because it's the same authority as Jesus. So when I don't know what to do and I need to make a decision, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to pick up my sword. It's going to come out of my mouth. And I'm going to say, Jesus, the word says, you have been made unto me all wisdom. James 1 tells me that if I need wisdom, all I need to do is ask. So I am asking, but I'm just receiving too. Because it says that you give it to me without reproach, without holding back. I receive your wisdom right now in Jesus' name. And I have the mind of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus, I know you are a good shepherd, and I'm your sheep.
You are faithful to me to get good things to me. And I hear your voice and the voice of a stranger. I will not follow. That's my sword. Do you see I'm not begging God for anything? See, you don't have to do anything but pick up your sword. Because the devil's always trying to get you to do something, to get something that you've already got. You've already got the authority. Will you, will you pick up your sword is the big question here. So here's what happens, though. Dylan, would you mind moving this for me a little bit? All right, here's what happens. I want you to see this. God gave me this picture once. So here we have the same authority as Jesus. He says, anything you ask in my name, I will do for you. He says, as I am, so are you in this world. And this voice comes at you and says, who do you think you are? You're a hypocrite. You can't be a table leader. You really blew it this week. Shame on you. Shame on you. And we start saying, shame on me. I'm so embarrassed. I can't serve God. Why would he pick me? I feel so lousy about myself, God. Boy, people knew. <sighs> Maybe I should just quit. Oh, I know. I'll just go out and sin. Why not? I've already done gone this far. Why wouldn't I do that? But here's the problem. You haven't picked up your sword. You've been listening to the voice of the accuser. But you have the right. Pick up your sword. And you say to that devil, what'd you say to me? <laughs> you walk him back. He says, I know who I am. I have been made righteous, not because I'm so good, but because Jesus is so good. And you can't talk to me like that. I'm not receiving it. In fact, you're a liar. You're a liar, and I'm exposing you right now. And you walk him back. And you pick up your sword and you take authority over that voice. You do not need to be depressed. You take authority over those voices in Jesus' name. You do not have to be sad. You do not have to be beat down. You do not have to be broken. You run to the one. Do not run away from God when you feel less spiritual because you haven't been behaving well. Jesus did not die for your behavior modification. It's not about how well you're doing. It's how well you're receiving what he's already done for you. Now I need my notes back. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I had no idea how long I've been with Pastor Jake. <laughs> I can wrap this up. I want to challenge you to know who you are in Christ and we have to end this way see because that voice that tells you that you're unworthy you're disqualified you don't do it right you'll never do it right that is a voice of condemnation that comes from one source and you might think it's just me it's just me it's just me but you've been listening to it for so long that now you're condemning yourself but it comes from the accuser of the brethren. In fact, the, the uh, name Satan or Hasatan actually means, you might think it means liar. You think it might think it means uh, murderer. You might think it means thief. It means the accuser. The accuser of the brethren. Revelation says he is standing there accusing you day and night. I know you've heard that voice. 
Every believer hears that voice. But see, you don't have to listen to it. You walk him back and you tell him to shut his lying lips because you do not have to listen to that. You have authority over him. And Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's trespass, who was Adam, death reigned through that one, much more surely with those who receive, everybody say receive, God's overflowing grace and the free gift of righteousness. Say free gift. Because that is what puts you in right standing with God. And you say, even when I blow it, and I said, yep, especially when you do. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, the one who knew no sin, who is Jesus, became sin for us on the cross. So that judgment would be made not on you, but on Jesus for our, on our behalf. And in exchange for Jesus becoming sin, God gifted you the free gift of righteousness, which is simply right standing with God. And you say, hmm, I don't feel very righteous. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you believe. Because right believing will result in right living. Right believing and I just want you to see this. So, so we don't do it perfectly. That doesn't mean you'll never sin again. That doesn't mean that you won't fight maybe some addiction or a, a, a perpetual sin or whatever that might look like in your life or your desire for sin. Hey, it's still in us, but you are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And let me demonstrate. I do this every single time, but I can't think of a better example. So this is you handsome, tall and slim. There we go. That's all of us, right? And this is Jesus right here. So he became sin, and he made us righteousness in him. Apart from him, we are not righteous. But in him, you are righteous. So this is what happens when you get saved when you ask Jesus to save you and you receive it by faith, he puts you in him. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And you don't hop in and out of this. This is positional. It doesn't depend on your goodness. It depends on Jesus' goodness. And you say, oh, well, that means that I can go out and sin all I want. Well, then you just didn't get it. <laughs> Excuse me. Because if I could just end with one more story. Years ago, not that long ago, actually, there was something that I used to do, and I just want to call it a comfort sin. I knew it was wrong. But when I was kind of stressed or when I was kind of like, ugh, I've just had enough, this was something that I would turn to. Now, it's none of your business what it is. It wasn't sexual. It wasn't anything illegal. But it was something that I would turn to. And um, so, yep, did it again. I know God can heal me. I know God not heal me. He will forgive me. In fact, he's already forgiven me. And I was trying to be sorry. Bad girl. Shouldn't be doing that. You know better. But you know what? If you do that long enough, you get very desensitized. I wasn't very sorry, but I knew God still loved me. But what I didn't expect is how God showed me his love for me when I was guilty, 
when I didn't deserve it. And again, he showed me a picture. And here I was trying to be sorry because I knew I should repent, but I didn't feel very sorry at all. And I'm trying to figure this out. And I suddenly get a picture of Jesus standing next to me. And I looked at him. And he had the most pleasant, wonderful look on his face. So accepting. And I was kind of, okay, what's about to happen? And he began to lay these large picture cards out in front of me. And the whole time he's looking at me kind of like, huh, huh, yeah, come on, come on, Karen. And when I looked at the cards, it was a picture of the sin that I had just done. And his smile never left his face. I felt his warmth, his acceptance, his wooing. And he's saying, come on, girl, come on back. You forgot who you are. You're my girl. You're the righteousness because of me. I call you righteous. And do you know what that did to me? I repented. I said, God, Jesus, I don't deserve your approval. I don't deserve your love that you're showing me. I disappointed myself. How come you're not disappointed in me? But what he does is he reminds you of who you are. See, I don't think we have a sin problem. I think we have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because we're so good, but because Jesus is so good. And he took our place. He took our condemnation. And I repented and I said, God, it was like the download hit me all at once. It's like, I am sorry that I believed the lie that this thing, this sin, this flesh out moment would satisfy me more than this relationship that I'm receiving from you. Because Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Is one of my favorite scriptures. You get this revelation by the Holy Spirit, and it will break the power of sin in your life. If you're caught in some kind of addiction, I want you to remember this. I am making you accountable to this before God, that you are still righteous, not because you're so good, because it was a free gift in the first place. You have to receive it, and then you are it, because Jesus said so. And if in the middle of that, whatever that thing that you've been snared in, you begin to say, I am going to remember who I am. I'm still righteous. That doesn't make sense because that's too good. But I am the righteousness of God because I'm still in you, Jesus. And I will tell you, it will break the addiction. It will break because what happened to that sin after that revelation of Jesus treating me in a way that I did not deserve is that my appetite for that sin was completely gone. It has no more hold on me because he reminded me of who I am in Christ. Here's the frosting on the cake. Here's the grand finale. Romans 8.1 tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Period. You have to receive it. You don't deserve it, so don't try. <laughs> Your righteousness is a gift to be received, not something to be achieved. Hallelujah. We're going to close with this. 
I need to pray. <laughs> Father God, I just thank you that by your Holy Spirit that this is turning our mind. I feel this shift in this room. Father God, that we can't earn your love because you already love us so beautifully and so perfectly and we don't deserve it. But right now, each and every one of you, would you just freely receive it because it has been freely given. He has positioned you in Christ. And therefore, God, when you look at us, you see us in your son, Jesus. So thank you. We receive it. We can't earn it. But would you just determine that you are not going to live under condemnation anymore because it robs you of intimacy with God. Nobody will run to someone who is critical and disappointed and ashamed and guilt-tripping you all the time. That's not your God. He calls you righteous. He says, come here, come here, come here. Come into my presence. Don't run from me. Come, come, come. I love you. You need me, <laughs> and I'm here. I'm not ashamed of you. I am not mad at you. I'm not disappointed in you. I just want to embrace you. I want you to know who you are. I want you to be so grounded and so founded in what Jesus has done for you that even when 70 mile an hour straight, wind, uh, straight line winds hit you broadside, you're still standing because you know who you are in me. So I want you to say this, repeat after me. And I'm going to warn you, if you don't say it with all your heart, I'm going to stop you and we're going to start over, okay? All right, so just get ready. This is your confession, and this is what is true about you. This is who you are. This is the real you. I want you to say, I am in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you became sin for me and made me as righteous as you. Therefore, I am the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, I have been given the same authority as Jesus. I have been given permission to use your name. There is now no condemnation because I am in you. I today pick up my sword, which is the word of God. And devil... You better start running because I know who I am and you're a liar and I take authority over you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.